Denton Van Zandt. Who's tapping the microphone? Was that Bobby or Rob? Oh, sorry. My bad. That was me. Oh, that's fine. As long as Bobby's... Bobby's the only one that matters. I'm editing you out, Rob. <laughs> this, entire, this entire podcast? <laughs> Look, I wasn't here last time. Are you just saying that you could do this without me? This is the theme song at the start of the show. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Gonna watch a movie, got a thousand more to go. Stop wasting time on the theme song. Watching everything on Disney seeming like a chore. And since I started singing, they already added more. So stop wasting time on the theme song. Just tell us the name of the show. It's called the Podcast for Tennis Shoes. What a terrible name for the show. It's worse than the theme song. Hello and welcome to the podcast War Tennis Shoes, the podcast where we watch and rank all 1,769 movies on Disney+. Plus. My name is Sean and I am here with my co-hosts Bob and Rob. And Rob, I had a terrible nightmare. It's spooky season and nightmares are upon us and I had this terrible nightmare that last episode you were replaced by a strange bearded redhead man who didn't laugh at any of my jokes and made me feel very <laughs> unfunny. And I woke up screaming, so I'm so glad to see that you're here today to join us for this very special episode. How are you doing, Rob? I'm a little scared now because, Sean, I, I had the same dream. We shared that dream? In your dream, did we do the episode and I was a bearded redhead? Uh, no, I was just listening and I couldn't say anything throughout the whole episode. I was just there. It was like my voice box was cut off and I, I couldn't laugh at any of your jokes about Republicans and Democrats in in Chicago. Oh, like night terrors. I have that sometimes. You're half awake, half asleep. You can't really move, but you know that you're awake. It's terrifying. You know, I, I, I think we were all visited by the same bearded dream demon because on Saturday morning, I awoke from a very similar nightmare. <laughs> Every night I go to bed in fear that <laughs> dream demon is going to return. So this isn't going to be our friend anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait to send him this episode. Within the context of the real world, the ever-waking nightmare that is today's episode is... Yes, I chose to do this week's pick, Reign of Fire. Ooh, and Bob, tell me, why did you choose Reign of Fire? Because I am perplexed. It's a bit of a left turn yeah, for too. us. Uh, this is the first non-mostly family-friendly film that we've done. It is a Disney film, technically. It's a touchstone release from 2002. But why did you pick it, Bob? It was mentioned in the Country Bears episode that this was one of Disney's releases in 2002. And I'd forgotten about this film until you mentioned it. I, you know, I'll fess up. I'm a sucker for any of those actors breaking down their career videos on YouTube that they do on GQ, the technique critique, anything like that. If I can hear an actor talk about their craft or what they decided to do in prep, I'm a sucker for it to listen. Two days after... Actually, I shouldn't say two days, but a few days after we did the recording... We wouldn't want you to be a liar, Bobby. Those two days. I'm really glad you corrected yourself. Yeah, yeah. It's very important. One popped up with Christian Bale, because he's promoting his new movie, Amsterdam. And it was a... Breaks down his most iconic roles. And I couldn't help but notice that Reign of Fire was nowhere to be mentioned in that video. <laughs> and so when you said, it's your choice this week, I knew it was Reign of Fire. You wanted to see why Christian Bale just tries to pretend it never, ever happened. And now you know. I know exactly why. And now all three of us know, because I had never seen this before either. Although I had heard good things. Why had I heard good things, Rob? Tell me. Because I might have talked it up a bit to you guys on a previous episode. Um, and much like Babes in Toyland, having rewatched it for this podcast, I may have been slightly mistaken the quality of this film. Sure? 
there is a tattooed bald Matthew McShirtless in it and dragons, but uh, not necessarily a, a good film. All right. Well, for our American listeners, I just want to stress that we are in Canada and our Disney Plus has that Disney star feature, which is why we have Reign of Fire and you don't. So take that, America. Ha! War of 1812, bitch. Oh! <laughs> is it is it really a gloating point that the one thing we have above them is Rain of Fire from 2002? Listen, I take what I can get, okay? All right, fair enough. I take what I can get. We're going to have that fucking King Charles on our money soon. We need something. But you're not sick as a dog anymore because of our universal health care. So that's one other thing. No, actually, can... I'm not sick as a dog because we got one new five-star review, Robbie. Thank you for reminding me. <gasps> we did? And they didn't write anything, but it's there. <laughs> for anyone else listening out there, please, if you want to keep me healthy and keep me from sneezing through every single one of these episodes, go on your podcast platform of choice. Give us a five-star review. Write why you love the show. Tell me who your favorite member of the podcast is. Is is it Sean? Is it Rob? Is it Bob? Is it the red-headed bearded night terror demon? <laughs> Could be any one of the four. We'd like to know. Bob, tell me the background of this movie, Reign of Fire. I believe it, the writer originally wrote the script in 1996, and he sold it to Spyglass Entertainment. And I looked up, and Spyglass was founded in 1998, and as a startup... They did a five-year distribution deal with Disney, and this movie came out in 2002, so that was within the five-year distribution deal they had with Walt Disney. Um, and I believe it said at the time Disney was a – they held the equity stake within the company. Mm. As you can see, because this was part of their more adult content back when they were still running Touchstone Pictures, they chose to put this out through their Touchstone label. Makes sense. Yeah, good call. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's not – I mean, like – you cartoon up the dragons, you give them big, doughy Disney eyes, and really, is there anything very adult in this film? I mean, there's Matthew McConaughey's biceps, but other than that, I, I don't know. I'm not even sure they curse. I honestly didn't check. What is this movie rated? Is it even R? It's PG-13. Uh, it's PG-13. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this is this is a borderline touchstone. I mean, I know why it's touchstone, because like if you put it out as Disney, it yeah. doesn't seem like a Disney film, but... This this is pretty family friendly. It's pretty soft. Considering there's literal dragons that eat people, it's like very quick. They cut away. And they don't even want to eat people, but we'll get to that. Yeah. It doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah. Um, Robbie, tell me about the makers of this film. Well, the director is uh, Rob Bowman. I just always knew him as the uh, the guy from X-Files. Because 2002, this was right when I started getting into, like, really into movies as a, as a teenager. And so I was like... Yeah, because you went and saw Tim Allen's Big Trouble. <laughs> I did. Big trouble with Tim Allen. <laughs> I also went and saw Rain of Fire in theaters. I did some IMDb searching on him. He got uh, the opportunity to direct another film after Rain of Fire. Do you know what that film is, Sean? Uh, ding, 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 ding. I believe that film is Electra, Rob. Electra. <laughs> and he directs no more films after Electra. <laughs> that was his big Marvel break. Yeah. He got in on Marvel. Oh, he does Electra. I did some, I, I watched an interview with him, like specifically about this movie, which I'll jump in, in and out of as we kind of go through the movie. But he, he said his approach to making this movie was he's always had a love of monster movies, which is what actually got him involved in X-Files was he said when the show came out, he loved it, reached out to his agent and said, Hey, can I at least, you know, get in the room with these guys and chat with them? And that led to his relationship as being a director to several episodes. But he said his approach to this movie and we can dissect and judge as we go on was he said, realistically, this is a genre movie. But he said, as he learned from watching Raiders of the Lost Ark, if you treat a genre movie like an A-list movie, 
That's what will make the movie good. So this is a monster genre film that he treated as an A-list movie. Do we agree on the approach and execution of that? Or shall we wait till the end of the episode to see? I'll have to give it some thought. It depends on what he thinks a genre movie is. Sure. Because by the year 2000, all A-list movies are Raiders of the Lost Ark. Yeah. There is no... Oh, Raiders of the Lost Ark is a B movie treated like an A movie. That's an A movie. Yes, Raiders of the Lost Ark is taking what would have been a B movie in the 1940s and treating it like an A movie. But in 2000, that's just what A movies are. They're just big budget action adventure films, you know, mm-hmm. with these heroic larger than life characters. Like Denton Van Zandt. Yeah. And I don't <laughs> think Denton Van Zandt. Oh, my God. We got to get into the names of these assholes. Um, uh, and I don't think there's anything about this picture that is particularly universal monster film. If anything, it's an alien invasion film. I mean, kind of like a a zombie movie. It's a bunch of people holed up in a castle hiding out the last days. Yeah, you could could say zombie, but zombie isn't like an old-timey universal monster film. If that's what he's getting at, I'm not sure exactly the quote that he's going for. But like, zombie films are like 70s again. Like, if he's talking about old-time B-movies, like B-movies are referring to the 1930s and 1940s when there were A-movies and B-movies and the studios owned the theatrical chains. And B-movies were the monster flicks. They were the serialized adventure stories, these kinds of things. Uh, zombie movies is past that. Zombie movies is, is 70s. That's like the Grindhouse era. You could talk about Grindhouse-type movies. But B-movies, you're talking about Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein or something. Like, it's not this. I think what he's trying to say, though, is don't make it schlocky. Try and make it as best as you can. Treat it like a... Like you would, like this is a high production, make it as good as you can. Is that what he's saying? He did. He does go in a little bit to say that he's trying to get genuine scares. He's trying to take things seriously, trying to, you know, he, he talked about giving the direction, like, you know, making sure that all the emotions were genuine and it was trying to ground the film in some sort of realism, despite it being what he viewed as a monster movie. I guess, like, it kind of feels like he's using that as an excuse to explain why in his dragon movie, 80% of the film time is devoted to conversations about gardening uh-huh. or like arguments about like water levels and shit. Like, I don't know. Like it's, there's just a lot of- For me, this movie was like kind of a product of like, this movie was very 2002 in that you had this, this start of the post-apocalyptic mm-hmm. thing kind of coming back. Like you'd already had the Matrix in the late nineties. The Matrix sequels are starting to come out. 28 Days Later is right around here, right? Is that 2003 or- I think so. And then you've also got like the Dawn of the Dead remake. Um, And so this is like kind of right at the beginning of that like post-apocalypse thing that went on for like almost a decade. We haven't gone out of it. Walking Dead, there's still like 17 Walking Dead shows on TV. That's true. Yeah. Well, it's all this like, you know, um, introductory anthropology 101, communications in our culture. But like the 1990s were the end of history. The 1990s were the Cold War is over. Peace has come. And it's like, what's next? Well, the only thing left is for it to all go to shit. Yeah. (laughs) There to be zombies. (laughs) And it was uh, Y2K and everyone's like, it's a new millennium. What's going to go wrong? There was some sort of like anticipation in the air, right? And so they were like, ooh, let's try and make everything look real bad. And none of them predicted how dumb it would be. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. This movie takes place in 2020. It's the story of a fictional 2020 when everyone is trapped inside because a horrible plague has spread around the entire globe and threatened the lives of our few survivors. 
survivors who dare not go outside lest this terrible plague take them and take their lives. Tell me how this movie begins. I, I have a lot to say about the flashback of this movie, um, and we may as well just cut right into it. This is going to yeah, be yeah, yeah, a yeah, yeah. big old-fashioned edition of Torch Talk, and I have like half a page of notes about this. Oh my god, I was screaming at my TV. Oh man, this is why Bob wants to do this. The whole thing is just a giant episode of Torch Talk. It's literally just Torch Talk, where he's like, well, those dragons are not anatomically correct. Torches don't work like that. No, 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 no. I Okay, funny enough with the dragons, they did actually work out how those work. Um, and apparently the basis yeah. of the way these dragons breathe fire by combining two separate spit glands to create fire or napalm as it is in the movie was actually carried over into the Harry Potter films. I actually dug that part. That's one thing I did remember from watching this as a kid. I was like, this is a this is a sweet idea for how they breathe fire. And I remember the visuals from the trailer of the two glands coming at them. We open up in... The age-old era of 2002, back before the dark times, back before the Empire. Um, in 2002, where there are still so many, many, many pigeons in Trafalgar Square. Oh, God. Um, I think Fuck that's supposed pigeons. to be evocative of dragons. And I also think it's supposed to be, well, we need to shoot somewhere where people immediately know we're in London and Trafalgar Square isn't that hard to get. So it's this boy coming home from school and he walks through Trafalgar Square in the middle of London. Where does he go, Bobby? He goes to a construction site where his mother, who is the head engineer, is below street level looking at the plans. So they are digging out an extension to the London underground. Yeah. So it is a subway construction way underground, deep, 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 deep. I deep. believe later in the movie, it is referenced as being 150 feet below the street level. And for some reason, they just let this kid wander in. From me making you watch Star Trek First Contact twice, once with commentary, Who's uh, who plays uh, Christian Bale's mom in this uh, movie? It is the Queen of the Borg. Alice and the Creek. Borg Queen, yeah. Alice Creek, who has like four lines of dialogue and then is never seen again in the whole film. No, she gets like fourth or fifth billing. Like she's built pretty high in the movie. Fifth build. Yeah, she is fifth build. Um, I also like that in this movie, McConaughey is top billing. He is definitely not the lead. Nope. We could talk about that. Sorry. I want to hear Torch Talk, Bob. I'm not interrupting Torch Talk, but I just want to briefly talk about the cast. So Matthew McConaughey is topped build and he plays Doobie Van Zant or something. <laughs> Denton Van Zant. He is now Doobie. That is so much better. Apparently, Sean, uh, reading the IMDb trivia, one of the uh, extras in the film, one of the characters like in, who lived in the castle, said uh, uh, like 10 minutes before Matthew McConaughey got in set, they said, by the way, you're not supposed to refer to him as Matthew or Mr. McConaughey. You could only call him Van Zant. And so... Everyone in the cast had to... He was doing method for he went, this. He went full method for his Dragon Warrior movie. I read an interview <laughs> with the director where the director had meetings with McConaughey, and in every single meeting for the movie, McConaughey did it in character. Oh my god. <laughs> he was just, like, intensely sniffing at Rob Bowman. He's <laughs> <laughs> growling through everything. <laughs> <laughs> He's just sucking on a cigar. <laughs> did he drive? Did he drive to every meeting in a tank, followed by a convoy? I hope he did. <laughs> I don't think he ever smokes. He's just he's just chewing it like it's made out of licorice. Yeah. It's like a licorice cigar that he got at a candy store. And, and you, you know he means business because he throws it away when it's serious. And so Christian Bale is second build. And one of the reasons why Christian Bale is second build is although Christian Bale was 
in a lot of movies. He was a child actor. He was in Steven Spielberg's Empire of the Sun. He was in Swing Kids, which is another Disney film we might get to someday. His his biggest lead roles were he was in American Psycho mm-hmm. and then the villain in Shaft. <laughs> this is basically his first heroic lead role. Oh my Which God. is why McConaughey is billed above him. Well, also, Matthew McConaughey was definitely a bigger star at that time. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I'm, I'm just saying that this Matthew McConaughey yeah. was a much bigger star than Christian Bale. When does Batman come out? 2005. Yeah. The other uh, main heroic leads are Isabella Skorupko. Is that how you say that name? I'm not sure. She is uh, the Polish-Swedish actress who played Natalia Simonova in GoldenEye. And Gerard Butler, little Jerry Butler boy. Jerry Butts. Who we'll get to. (laughs) He's mostly just hair product in this film. He's got great hair. He has great hair. This was, again, like right when Gerard Butler was starting to come out and being in some North American films. Like, this is an early one for him. I think, like, shortly after this, he was in... He was in Dracula 2000 before this? Yes, he was, as Dracula 2000. That's the name of the character. <laughs> but he he was in Timeline after this, shortly, I think. He was not a big name either when this came out. I do like how both uh, Christian Bale and uh, Jerry Butts are getting to do their natural accents, though. I did appreciate that in this. Um, there were some lines where Gerard Butler was just giving it like, he was like, oh, I could, I could sound Scottish. And he was just, he was having it up immensely. I loved it. All right. So now we return to another episode of Torch Talk with your host, Bob. <laughs> so as earlier alluded to by Sean, a child lets himself into a construction site, not a closed construction site, an active construction site that is not locked. There's no security. A child simply opens the gate and lets himself Everybody in. Everybody waves at him. They basically give him high fives on the wind. Like, hey, so your mom, mate, you're like doing the light shift, are you, boy? <laughs> it walks by everybody. This is an active construction site. They're not shutting down for the day. They're running two shifts. He gets in the elevator, lets himself down the elevator. So he is now- by himself. He, he knows how to operate this thing. No yeah. one's there. P- people know how to operate an elevator. But <laughs> sure, but I'm just saying, like, I'm just saying, like, this kid, he, he's not wearing a hard hat. He's not wearing steel-toed boots. There is no PPE present. When nope. he gets underground, his mother is using fire suppression equipment to cool off tall cans of beer, which she is passing to people who are on shift at work. No... Those ones, those ones, they're leaving for the day. She's are like, are they leaving? Boys. Maybe they're just going she's, upstairs. She, they are still. Uh, she's like, good shit. I, I realize this is England, and like, I know liquor laws are very different there, but they are still drinking on site on an active construction site. I did like how it's it was Budweiser because they were like, for a North American audience, it has to be some sort of American beer, otherwise people don't know what it is. That was the moment I was completely taken out of the movie. I was like, fine, Mad Max with dragons and McConaughey. You had me. No Englishman is drinking Budweiser if he has to. <laughs> So, um, your landlord will break Torch Talk for a brief moment. He's there to speak to his mom at work, which you're assuming he does every day. Seems like it, eh? Every day, he just meets his mom at work, lets himself down, while his mom is just downstairs in a mine shaft. Giving away alcohol to her employees. I have a very specific Torch Talk question, Bobby. Yes. And that question is this. When the kid enters the construction site, a guy offers him a cigarette and he says, no, I th- he might say something about, I only smoke when I'm drinking. And then the guy goes, okay, and he puts a cigarette in his mouth and then literally lights the cigarette with a torch. 
Is that safe, Bobby, on a construction site? I would say no. I've never worked construction, but I know at the yard I worked at, uh, people almost got suspended for smoking on site and lighting things with regular lighters. Out of all of the things that were wrong with that scene, that was like the least wrong thing. I'm interrupting your torch talk, Bob, but I just want to raise this up one more level. Later on in the sequence, a man says that they've dug into a strange void in the wall and they don't know what is behind this empty portion of the wall. His first instinct is to... Light a cigarette. <laughs> Tell me, Bobby, is that safe? Uh, absolutely not. They are underground. They have limited air restriction. They do not know what gases are going to be present in this, not merely a hole. This is now a confined space. A confined space is an area where you have one entrance and one exit. So he lights a cigarette, not knowing what is on the other side of this confined space. His next reaction is to send in a child into a confined space, <laughs> a la Victorian England. And the child yes, does it. Yes, he is. Without thinking, the child enters this confined space, not knowing who or what could be in there. No hard hat to be found. It seems to me like the most likely thing in a void. Just, I gotta say, the most likely reason why you dig into a void yes. is that it is a pocket <laughs> of methane gas. I don't know why his first instinct is to light a cigarette. Light a cigarette and send the small child in to see if everything is okay. This is a little nitpicky, right? But um, they say <laughs> he's hit some sort of void, right? And then... The Borg Queen and her subordinate run off to go see it. And then Freddy, not Freddy Highmore, just walks behind them and somehow gets there before Alice Krieg. What what happened there? Like, how did he show up? It's a, it's a confusing cut. It doesn't really make any yeah. sense. It cuts from them explaining that there's a void to them looking at the void and only the kid is yeah. there. It's very strange. Yeah. The geography in this movie is very touch and go, and we will get to that. Um, Bobby, tell me what happens when this little boy climbs into Fraggle Rock. <laughs> so upon the entrance of his confined space... Sorry. It's Fraggle Rock! It is Fraggle Rock! Okay? There's glittering stalagmites and stalactites everywhere. He has found Fraggle Rock. Only he's not from Fraggle Rock. <laughs> He has found a dragon nest that has been underneath England. There be dragons, Bobby. There be dragons. There be dragons. Now, had this child at least possibly entered this void or confined space, as we will call in this uh, reprimand, he was not wearing any eye protection. Might have been protected from the napalm that got spit in his face. He got Dennis Nedry'd. He got Dennis Nedry'd. <laughs> he would not have been Dennis Nedry'd had they given him PPE. That's all I'm saying. Right? This is a very good educational video. This seems like something that you would watch in, like, you know, construction school, and then they'd pause and they'd say, now what did all these people do wrong, kids? <laughs> <laughs> Blinded, he somehow manages to make his way out of the void, back out of the confined space, to which the man smoking then blows up. Because that dragon just woke up. And just woke there's up. A, there's a tasty looking not Freddy Highmore right in front of him who, who's blind and crawling around. Well, he's half asleep and only half of his his glands work because he just shoots napalm at this kid, but not nitro, I guess. So it didn't ignite. Sure. Because the dragon is smart enough to know that he will also be cooked because they are in a confined space with a small exit. So the dragon is smarter than everyone else working on this construction site is what you're saying. Yes. He watched the training video. Now, the one thing I will say in this is that thank God they had an eyewash station. That was yeah. the one thing they did do right in this construction site is they had an eyewash station. The dragon kills everyone in sight. They use the elevator to get out of the mine shaft. His mama... Almost makes it out alive, but the dragon kills her. And as Christian Bale is leaving, he says, How could this scenario have been different? What precautions could have been put in place to stop this from happening? 
<laughs> you make a list box? So after the – there's a montage. I'll, I'll, I'll get to this because this does obviously affect Christian Bale. I was going to say, I was screaming at the TV when Alice Creed died because I was like, is that it? Is that all that she's in this film? Yes, that's all she's in the film for. And she's fifth build. Like, she's pretty sweet. And they killed her off right away. I guess they, you know, they had to do like uh, Bambi's mom right at the beginning so you can have some sort of adventure. Well, like she was in First Contact. That was a big movie. Christian Bale was in, he was the villain in Shaft. Like, fuck that. <laughs> you know what's <laughs> funny? And is that thinking back now, I didn't know who either of these people were when this movie came out. But Sean, you and I saw Shaft and both Dracula 2000 within this era. And I had no idea who they were. <laughs> yeah, we had seen those films and we still didn't know who these people were. Yes. All right. So I do have a question, though. This is maybe just me falling into f- movie tropes and having a simplistic film mind and perhaps this movie is just so realistic and authentic that they're going by scientific standards and they don't even realize what tropes they're giving but clearly when christian bale as a kid is sprayed with dragon spray and his eyes turn black i was positive he was getting dragon powers I boy, I was so disappointed. I thought it, I I really thought that it was going to be that he was going to be immune to fire for the rest of the movie, and that yes. was why he was the leader of this castle. I thought he had to get dragon powers. That's what just happened. He was the one person who can kill the dragon because he has dragon powers because they sprayed him with their dragon mucus. His eyes turned black. That is supposed to be evocative of they're, you they're suddenly black and, have and they're they're bloodshot red too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think technically. Looking at it again, after he didn't get powers, I went back and re-looked at it, and I was like, didn't he get dragon powers? And then, like, <laughs> I, I re-watched the scene, and it's like, oh, I guess technically <laughs> I it's... You were wound it going, like, like you were probably, like, 40 more minutes into the film, you're like, wait, didn't he get dragon powers? I was, I was. I was like, what happened to his dragon powers? Why isn't he using you're any dragon powers? just watching a totally different movie in your brain? <laughs> and I went back, and I was like, oh, I guess technically... They're just bloodshot eyes. With some severely dilated pupils. Yeah, severely dilated bloodshot napalm in the eyes. And that's – it's just a sequence that's suppo- that's only narratively there to give a reason for why him and his mother are delayed getting in the elevator, I guess. Although, again, it's strange because it doesn't need to happen. Like, the sequence of events would play out exactly the same yeah. if he didn't get sprayed in the eye, which is why, to me, it's like, well, that must be dragon powers. But oh, then he went through gotcha. the entire movie without sprouting any wings, and I was like, I guess I was wrong. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm with Sean on this. I thought I 100% dragon powers did not deliver on that promise. Aw, <laughs> that's so unfortunate. Sorry, guys. No wonder you don't like this movie. After the dragon escapes, then Wait, I got we a question. get... Yeah. Not Freddie Highmore, Christian Bale, is... He, like, pets a rock, one of the stalactites, and says, so cool. Was that Scales? Yes. Was he petting the dragon? I think that was a different dragon. I think there were multiple dragons down there. It wasn't the same dragon that sprays him, because he looks up and there's a different dragon. Oh, okay. I think suspended from the ceiling. But I think the thing that he's petting is supposed to be another hibernating dragon. Because okay. it looks very scalish, like you're saying. Yeah, like, my thought there was he, like, he pet the dragon, woke it up, and then that's why it didn't kill him. Because it saw him later, and he was just like, hey, thanks, brah, and then, like, flew away. It's certainly possible. The edit is a little strange, maybe. Because yeah, there is a little, like, 
the fire sprouts out and he gets surprised. So it's possible I that that is how what it's supposed to be. But I assumed it was a different dragon. I always took it to be that there's one dragon hibernating down there. It's the the dude dragon. Well, what are you talking about? There's tons of dragons. Well, there can't be one dragon. There has, there has, to, there has to be more dragons. There has yeah. to be at least like I one know. female. Yeah, we got to go to our regular okay. segment, the birds and the bees with Rob. <laughs> no, that's why. Like, it never makes any sense to me, right? Because like we're we're jumping a little bit ahead, but the dude dragon is later seen in the film like eating all of the female dragons. That's because he's starving. It's hungry. We'll get to that. You're talking yeah, about the I end know, of the film like, here, buddy. In my brain, he's the one guy who falls asleep and hibernates and then wakes up every 10,000 years or whatever the hell it is. But how, but how does he have eggs to fertilize? I know. That's why it doesn't make sense to me. Well, you've invented something that doesn't make sense. That's not in the movie. In the movie... Like, like Dragon Okay, powers. let me explain to you. So after the dragon flies out of the London yep. underground, you know, mind the gap, the movie cuts to a montage of Christian Bale narrating an explanation of everything that's happened between 2002 and 2020. He, he's like, oh, there were so many dragons and they came from everywhere. And then we all had to flee the cities. And then, oh, it was very hard. And there was so many. There's, 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 also, there's also the historical, like, what is this? Scientists made an awful discovery that they were the ones that caused the fire that killed the dinosaurs. Their yes. ashes caused yes. the ice age. Yes. I love and it's, it. So fucking overly dramatic. Revisionist history at its best. It is. And like he's, he's got it cranked up to like 17 on this one. Like this monologue specifically with his, like, like, cause I think like one of the first or last ones of the monologue is history is now our only weapon. <laughs> <laughs> I love your bail impression. It's a perfect it's so bail impression. Bobby. But here's, here's the thing that blows my mind is, well, it doesn't <laughs> blow my mind, but here's something weird about this segment. He's narrating this and yes. then there's a montage of news footage and newspaper clippings and a person writing. And I want to cover all three of those. The newspaper clipping headlines talk about how fossils found in Antarctica are, you know, the remnants of dragons. And it's supposed to suggest that there are a lot of little hatcheries of dragons around the world and global warming perhaps is awakening all of these dragons. And so in the year between 2002 and 2010, a lot of different dragon hatcheries around the world awoke. And that might explain, Robbie, where these women dragons are coming from. As a married man, I hope you understand (laughs) that you do need to have both a male animal and a female animal in order to procreate. With Dennis Nedry getting shot in the face with uh, Dilophosaurus's venom. And, And so I just assumed... That you know that it was uh, it was a Jurassic Park situation where the dinosaurs changed sex. The other thing is that there's somebody writing when Christian Bale is narrating, and the montage shows someone writing. The filmmaking shorthand that you're seeing here is supposed to be this is someone's journal, and they are writing their thoughts, and you are hearing the thoughts being recited aloud, so you don't need to just read it. But the, what is being written doesn't match. What Christian Bale says at all. And at another point, what is being written is the equation for dragon fire, which is the napalm nitro thing with some like chemical formula, which leads me to believe that the person we're seeing writing during this montage is the engineer that Christian Bale mentions in an offhanded comment, the dead chemist. That's not Christian Bale. Nope. 
And so this is a character that you'd never see in the movie that Christian Bale mentions offhand. And I'm pretty sure that's who's supposed to be writing during this montage. I it's mean, very strange. It's clearly not, but it makes sense if it was. Like, it's clearly supposed to be it's Christian not, Bale. It's not Christian Bale, because it's none of the be. things that he's saying are what is yeah. being written. I was I was screaming at the TV because I was like... Who is he writing this to? Like, are we supposed to know? Like, this is this is a trope that was kind of popular in the 90s and early 2000s, where a movie would start with, like, someone scribbling shit down. It even happened, like, Valkyrie started like that. It was just them writing. And it's never explained who he's fucking talking to. And I was, and I was like, why is he writing this shit down? He's talking to us, the audience. He, he says, I'm talking to you. You're the ones who are reading this now. <laughs> yeah, he basically <laughs> says that. <laughs> You're all hope now. And and to cap it all off, <laughs> later in the film, they cut back to this montage again without the writing. They later in the film, it's the same exact shots. It, was this a studio edit? Like, did they say it's not clear enough what happened? I don't really know because Christian Bale doesn't really explain anything. It's super mm-hmm. vague. No. Bobby's impression is 100% accurate to what he says. It's all just like platitudes yes. about like fighting and, you know, like the, the war came to us and all this kind of like nonsense that doesn't mean anything one of the lines was for every one of them killed a hundred took its place they seemed invulnerable no they didn't because you just mentioned two sentences ago how you killed them like none of it made any damn sense they kill multiple ones in this film and it's not that hard no they kill them with very limited weaponry and so the suggestion that entire militaries with nuclear weapons couldn't kill them is absurd And it makes no fucking sense. They're just like, we shot them with so many nukes and they didn't die. But a single harpoon. Oh, boy. (laughs) Like that. (laughs) Basically, it operates on Smaug logic, where apparently they have a single scale weak point where a harpoon can kill them, but nothing else. That is basically Um, the end of the movie, actually. After the montage, we get to the present where Michael, uh, Michael Bay. What the (laughs) fuck am I talking about? I was about to say Michael Bay. I don't know. What the fuck are you talking about? This movie might have been better if it was a Michael Bay movie. Like, let's just be real. If this movie was directed by Michael Bay, I would watch the fuck out of it on an annual basis. Are you kidding Uh, me? Well, the color timing wouldn't have been any different. So (laughs) Christian Bale (laughs) is digging out tunnels underneath a castle in England. And we now cut forward to 2020 in Northumberland. And I just want to stress that this is in the northern uh, region of England. It borders Scotland, and it is 316 miles from London. We will come back to that. Yep. Yep. (laughs) Yes, but we ever. (laughs) As he's digging these tunnels underneath a castle, Christian Bale, with plenty of electric light around, looks at a pipe by taking out a Zippo lighter and... Creating a flame in this underground tunnel, yet again not learning the lessons <laughs> of potential methane gas release. But go ahead, Bobby, tell me what happens next. This is the argument between him and some of the other dwellers of the castle as to whether or not they should or should not be harvesting their food yet. I guess. I think that's what they're arguing about, but... Yes, that's what happens, but I wanted to point out, Bobby... You used to wear one of those woolen sweaters I did. that Christian Bale's wearing throughout this entire film. I sure did. Christian Bale starts this film off. Before he does the lighter, he literally is grunting, going, ugh, 
yeah, with a pickaxe digging out this tunnel. He turns around, does the thing with the Zippo lighter. There's this long tracking shot there where, where Rob Bowman says, hey, look, we built this entire set. And it follows him up into the castle. Christian Bale is glistening in sweat, just dripping in sweat from his hard manual labor. And then he puts on this thick itchy woolen sweater and spends the next uh, the entire film in it we never see him take a shower i just couldn't think about nothing else through this whole film is how gross christian bale must have smelled <laughs> and how stanky and danky he was <laughs> throughout this entire film for northumberland being like this very cold boggy weather Everyone seems to be dripping in sweat in this movie. I have a theory about that. Okay. My theory is that that was contractually mandated. Christian Bale's character is named Quinn Abercrombie, and everyone in this movie <laughs> looks like they shop at Abercrombie and Fitch. It's the only dystopian movie I've ever seen where everybody wears clothes as if they just got back from a Saturday at the mall. I mean, I, it makes sense. I mean, the only quality that's going to survive the post-apocalypse is that you're going to find it at Abercrombie and Fitch. <laughs> Um, uh, I read a little IMDb trivia, and apparently um, Christian Bale showed up on set looking fairly gaunt, not machinist gaunt, but his logic, which is sound, is uh, there's not – there's a food scarcity. So he was like – he didn't exercise. He was like kind of gaunt, right? And then – Matthew McConaughey showed up and set and just completely jacked to shit. And he, like, looked in the script. He, like, flipped a couple pages. He was like, oh, I got to fight that guy? Oh, shit. And then he, like, went to the gym and, like, worked out like a mad dog and got into that shape. I did like how buff everybody was in this movie, despite <laughs> there being a food scarcity. That's that's why everyone's starving oh, yeah. to death, is because Christian Bale is eating all the food. <laughs> He's keeping all the protein He's for himself. He's just, like, eating five meals a day. He's on the rock diet. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we either need to go get... We need to either get all those tomatoes now, or you need to share some of that cod. He's like, no. <laughs> He's just got a cod fishery in his it's room. all for him. He needs those five cod meals a day. So there's a seated argument between this man saying, like, look... <laughs> Give us the fish. And he's like, no, we discussed this as a group. I need to stay back. Um, they agree to disagree. Uh, they throw them in jail? I don't know. They take keys away? Or maybe it's the keys to the car? It's the keys to the car. So they can't drive to the harvesting thing. They can't drive to the harvesting thing. They agree it's a bad idea. And then everyone leaves. And Jerry Butler looks at Christian Bale and is like, I'm your best friend. But even I don't like you sometimes. And you're like, wow, that line is loaded with a lot of exposition. <laughs> I bet you Jerry Butts is going to die. <laughs> <laughs> right off the bat. Like, Christian Bale's so brooding in this, he doesn't really say anything. Gerard Butler has more lines up until the ending. Up until he dies. Like, Gerard Butler has more lines and is more of a character than Christian Bale. He has to say everything while Christian Bale just, like, glances to the camera and broods. And so there's need to be, like, a like a comedic relief something said so it, it actually progresses. Otherwise, like, there would be nothing. It would just be shots of Christian Bale thinking. And that would be what it would be. So we are then, you hear somebody's imitating the breathing of Darth Vader and it cuts to Jerry Butts and Christian Bale doing a live stage reenactment of The Empire Strikes Back for a group of children... The group of children led by Tiny Joffrey from Game of Thrones, also the stoned kid from Batman Begins, is right front and center in this group of children. Again, heavy on the exposition, they are literally reading all of the stage lines and exposition, going into every line to entertain these children. I thought this was interesting because this was 
pre-Disney owning Star Wars. When they finish the stage production, one of the children says, no, no, do The Lion King. And you're like, okay, yeah, it's a Disney movie. Disney wouldn't let anyone else say that. <laughs> they say The Lion King. The other one they shout out is Do Jaws. Oh, I, see, I missed the first one. I was, I, I missed the first there one. There is a kid that yells out Do Jaws. So presumably they recreate Jaws as well. <laughs> it's just it's just three guys getting drunk on a boat while one of them is a shark. Who's Who plays the shark? <laughs> He's like, those sharks have dark eyes black eyes like a devil's ass i've only seen black eyes like that once before when i got <laughs> spit on by a dragon <laughs> and then he turns and with all the conviction of the world says we're going to need a bigger boat <laughs> <laughs> all right kids time for bed time for bed no! <laughs> time for bed but not before your prayers now this is where i would argue he did take a lesson of the death of his mother because their religion is that of safety and that of what to do when a dragon attacks, where they're going to meet at their muster station, what to do in this situation. So I would argue yep. he was traumatized by the death of his mother. He listened to those dragon's words and said, wow, how could I ever prevent any of my family from dying in dragon fire ever again? To which they pray. I was also thinking, okay, he does he does Jaws. He does The Lion King. This movie came out in July of 2002, which means when he goes through the Star Wars saga, he does A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Return of the Jedi, The Phantom Menace, Attack of the Clones, which came out two months before he got spit on by a dragon. And I assume he must have been there to see that movie. But he never saw Revenge of the Sith. I assume in this world where dragons were still terrorizing the populace, George Lucas never got around to releasing Revenge of the Sith in 2005. But maybe he did. I don't know. Do you think George Lucas released Revenge of the Sith in this dragon land? Movies were filmed during the pandemic. Things were made. Yeah, that's insane. They would have. We got Mission Impossible. The, the opening credits suggest that they only fled the cities in 2010. And so between 2002 and 2010, dragons yeah. were flooding the world, but they still lived in cities, which means maybe they did release Revenge of the Sith. But maybe it was a slightly different version of the Revenge of the Sith that had to be filmed while dodging dragons. I mean, like, Mustafar would have looked <laughs> fucking amazing. <laughs> they just went to London and filmed it. They wouldn't have even had to have done special effects. No. <laughs> I mean, it can also exist in a world like I've seen um, the film Arsenic and the uh, Arsenic and the Black Lace. Um, Arsenic and Old Lace. Ar Arsenic and Old Lace. Yeah, but that which is an adaptation of a stage play, but that was filmed during the Second World War when there was the entertainment mandate that actors did not have to serve in the war because they needed to stay home to make films to keep the population entertained. Oh yeah. So Ewan McGregor got to dodge the dragon draft by uh, making Revenge of the Sith. Yeah, one one hundred percent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, that makes um, sense. I submit that T-shirt number three, Dragon Draft Dodger. <laughs> <laughs> I, I thought it was going to be a bearded redhead dream demon. <laughs> <laughs> I, know, I like that one too. Okay, continue on. You've answered my questions about Christian Bale's movie repertoire. <laughs> um, so their, their, their prayer is like, what do we do when we wake we keep both eyes to the sky. What do we do when we sleep? We keep one eye to the sky. I mean, that's like some unrealistic expectations for these kids. Uh, and then it's like, run and seek cover. That's the rest of it. So, What do you do when you see him run, seek cover, and never look back? So it's specifically him. Like, it's the dragon from the beginning. This is what he's teaching all these kids. Is like They don't know the gender, because that's explained by Matthew McConaughey. He gives them the birds and the beasts. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
They're living in a in a Rob esque naive <laughs> world where they don't understand how sex Look, works. I thought it was Jurassic Park. Okay, I, I think so did they. I think they really were hoping this was Jurassic Park. <laughs> the next scene is the the people who were going to go harvest the food early uh, sneak out and go harvest the food, and then there's a, a dragon spotted. Everybody wakes up, and uh, Christian Bale has to run out and go save these people. But what time of day is it? Because every single time that they are outside. It is gray, and I can't tell if it's nighttime, daytime, what time of day is it? Like, it's supposed to be early dawn, right? But it doesn't look like dawn. It doesn't matter. None of that matters. It's the middle of the night, I think, but it doesn't really matter because everything is shot to look exactly the same, and it's for two reasons. Okay. The first is that it's budgetary reasons. This was shot for $60 million, which is not a lot of money, even in 2002 for a Not big with the budget effects, right? the dragons? dystopian dragon extravaganza. This was a relatively mid-budget film. And part of the mid-budget film, as you say, how do we make a movie about dragons where we never have to show the dragons? <laughs> part of the solution to that is you say, well, if it's England, it's always overcast <laughs> and foggy. So you can just say the dragons are up there, but you can't see them because it's very, very gray. And so everything in this movie is gray. But that brings us to the second part. It's not gray, it's teal. Because somebody else read an introduction to color theory book. (laughs) As we all know how the old nursery rhyme goes... When you first learn the color wheel, everything is orange and teal. They shot this movie entirely in teal because somebody said, we're shooting dragons, their fire will be orange. Sure. And if everything else is teal, that'll look really good on the poster. And so they just shoot every shot with a teal filter on the lens. Everything looks the same. Yeah. I kind of hate it. I'm just going to throw it out Yo, there. I hate it. This movie looks like garbage. I hate it too, Sean. I agree. Like, it it looks like garbage. And that was that was a thing with movies from this time period. Like, Underworld was like, let's just make everything blue. Everything is absolutely blue all the time. It's blue and blue. On a related note to that, I actually found a lot of the really heavy action sequences, sequences in this movie very hard to follow. Yeah. Again, because there's just so much gray and black and things are filmed where the, the, I think there was one or two action scenes that I, I couldn't tell you what happened in them because I couldn't see what was going on. Not to on. mention there's yeah. some real shit CGI. Well, there is some really bad compositing to yes, be sorry, specific. Compositing. Some of the worst compositing I have ever seen of people in front of what is clearly a green screen either falling or jumping or running and like behind them is just like holy fuck bring out the old rear projection that you had <laughs> for a million dollar duck because it'd be better than whatever the fuck you're doing with this absolutely thing. um i also read too and we can get into this now while we're discussing the cg um this is very early on yeah when they were really starting to push cg onto things and this was actually a big part of that interview i watched uh with rob bowman they had nothing on set as a reference point nothing none of the dragons were there they were looking at nothing because they were filming on location they weren't on a set they didn't even have like a ball for eye lines no because they were on they were on location like they were outside they were by this castle they so he said it would be a case of being well did I look okay and well no you looked from its face to its belly I need you to look at its face the whole time well okay where's its face like well just keep looking at the same spot and we'll just like match after so there is no reference point for these anything for these actors to actually look at we have the Eddie and Eddie and the gang 
They're going to go steal some tomatoes from the tomato patch. <laughs> Eddie and the Eddie gang are going to steal some tomatoes from the tomato patch. That's the, I that's mean, the, that is a perfect description of the movie. That is legitimately what happens in this scene. <laughs> while they're stealing these tomatoes, a dragon shows up. It's, it's England, they're tomatoes. Tomatoes. Uh, these tomatoes, uh, the dragon shows up and kills one of Eddie's gang, but just before the dragon can burn the entire tomato patch and kill everyone else in Eddie's gang, Christian Bale and his uh, heroic firefighters show up in their PPE. Apparently they do have PPE. They just refuse to wear it under any other circumstances. Yeah, yeah right? Just this one time. Just this one time when they know there's a dragon. We're like, okay, guys, there's an actual dragon. I guess let's put on the PPE. Um, and rescues the rest of Eddie's gang. But takes them away and the dragon torches all of the tomatoes. So they're quite upset because they're like, <laughs> oh, we've lost all the tomatoes now. And this brings us into the logic of this. Because this scene, they start discussing what the dragons want and this is what i don't understand because they say the dragons are gonna eat the ash because the dragons feed on ash and it's not just a one-line thing because during that introductory montage where the chemist is (laughs) writing down everything he knows about the dragons he also writes down they eat ash a-s-h for everyone out there they're saying the dragons eat Ash. No, they're not <laughs> porno dragons. These dragons don't have an OnlyFans. They eat ash with an H. Why Why do they eat humans then? Like, I don't understand. Are they, do they eat both? Yeah, they don't burn them first. Do they eat both ash and humans? Like, what is, they seem to be, we're at war with the dragons. But the dragons don't eat humans? I'm very confused by this. But but they eat a lot of humans in this they movie. They do. They eat they tons eat, of them. They eat two humans. So do they eat both humans and Ash? Is Ash like is Ash like where a, a horse has a salt lick? Where they need to get sulfur <laughs> into their system? Where it's like, oh, well, we eat humans, but we also need a little bit of sulfur. So we got to get some Ash in there. It's a balanced diet. Like I say, this lead dragon's a pretty smart guy. <laughs> yep. <laughs> They got their little dragon food pyramid. No, he he literally does. He's on top of everyone. He's on top of the food pyramid. Yeah, he, he is the food pyramid. The dragon is on top of all the other dragons eating everything else beneath him. <laughs> dragon is the top of the food pyramid. Good. Yep. Right. With an arrow pointing into his mouth. I, I thought that too, because they say dragons eat the ash. They have to burn everything. Um, It would have made a, a whole lot more sense if they cooked them first before they ate them, but they probably didn't have the skill or budget to do that. So they just chomp, chomp, chomp and ate the humans raw. I guess. I, I got into the same thing too, because I was like, but if they eat ash, why did he eat that person? Yeah. Unless like that guy was named Ash and the dragon just destroyed <laughs> him. <laughs> but I'm... <laughs> They're nominative dietitians. Yeah. <laughs> we are an hour 12 in and we have not introduced Matthew McConaughey. Bob, I need you to get us through this faster. <laughs> I'm, I'm, Wait, I'm getting, I'm getting can you there. Do, can, please, can you do your best impression of uh, Jerry Butts trying to console Christian Bale talking about the moonshine? It's best to do it in one gulp. So it just burns your stomach and not your throat. Thank you. Wow. But he says, fruit, fruit. It's so good. But while this drinking scene is going on, Christian Bale is looking at a copy of Time that is a major city in the world being eaten by dragons, which led me to ask two questions. Who took the photo? Yep. Why was Time still running? Yep. How is it still making its way to new shelves? Why yep. does Christian Bale keep a copy? When yep. he's sad, why does he look at this photo? Yep. It's a collector's item. Someday it's going to be worth a ton of money. <laughs> 
He's gonna retire on that. Yeah. He's got he's he's got that, and then underneath his bed, he's got a case of Beanie Babies, and he's like, guys, both of these are gonna be worth a lot someday. First, first we fix the dragon problem. That's what Gerard Butler was doing right at the very, at the end where the dragon attacks. He's like, there's 65 people up there, and Gerard Butler stops him and says, no, you're too important. I'll go do it. He's running up to go get Christian Bale's Beanie Babies. First, we take care of the dragons. Then I sell these beanie babies. Then we retire. Twitch some chatter is heard on the radio by the radio person, but nobody can be seen. What could it be? Except for an armored convoy. This is our introduction to Denton Van Zen and his merry band of tankers. And this is something I want to get to, and we're going to get to it later on. Are the dragons deaf? Do the dragons (laughs) not have any sense of hearing? Because they have managed to... What does he say they're from? Were they in... Coffee town. They're from Kentucky. They flew into an old abandoned airstrip outside of Manchester, and now they are making their way to London. Sean, I I don't know if that geography works. Doesn't make any sense. Uh, with what doesn't no. make any sense? Yeah, they flew in. They were attacked when they were landing. He lost a hundred and twenty men, uh, and now he is making his way to London. And he's got a ragtag crew of people. Which leads me to the point: Why would anybody fly anywhere in a post-apocalypse that is dominated by fire-breathing creatures that fly? That, that is mean, their main characteristic. That that is brought up. Christian Bale says no one's flown in decades or whatever the hell it is. They own the sky. That's a 14-hour flight. Uh, also, like, fuel is scarce. There was lots of these riddle things with the movie that really bugged me. It was all these, like... Sp- McConaughey is a grunting ape man. I think he just got super lucky. Oh, hell yeah. He's a fucking idiot. It's like idiot. Tim Allen showing up at your door. <laughs> um, apparently, uh, Matthew McConaughey uh, shaved his head for this movie because he was going bald. That's what he said in his memoir. He just was like, I was going bald, so I shaved my head for it. Wait, has he been bald ever since? And then his hair grew back. Yeah, as as, as every actor in Hollywood's hair just magically That's grows right. back. Yes. He sticks with the fact that he put some cream on it and then it grew back. Ah. Uh, yeah, that, that cream could possibly be minoxidil or a surgery of some kind, which I can only speculate on. Yep. So, he explains to Christian Bale that they just need a place to rest and fix up before they go to London. But he also says what he's doing here. He He says that he's a dragon hunter no he says i'm a dragon killer thank you can you do the whole monologue bobby as matthew mcconaughey oh i can't remember all the monologue i really did like just i had hopes of coming in and just doing the entire (laughs) podcast as either matthew mcconaughey or christian bale he says uh my favorite line i still remember this they have uh great vision in the day they have even better vision at night they got good vision in the day they got better vision at night but at the hours in between they can't see worth a shit (laughs) magic hour all right, all right, all right. Oh, man. <laughs> to which case, Christian Bale says, yeah, all right, come in. I'm, I, I remember dazed and confused. You can come in the castle. I did think it's funny that they announced that they're like, oh, God, it's the Americans. And the Americans drive up in tanks. And we get through exactly two actors before they're no longer Americans because yeah. <laughs> it's Matthew McConaughey and then his second in command is Isabella Skorupko who's fucking Polish and Swedish with a thick accent you're like you're definitely not American no you're not from Coffee Town, Kentucky or wherever it is I do like too how uh, when uh, McConaughey gets out of the tank and stretches and goes his like first thing he does is grunts and like stretches I like the scene immediately after this where he is riding on the missile launcher of the tank as if it is his cock. And this was another point where I thought, this, this would be really noisy. Don't you think this would attract some dragons? 
To which case, a fucking helicopter flies over top of them. A surprise helicopter. I love surprise that helicopter. Where you can't hear a helicopter coming until you can see it. I love it. It just swoops in unannounced. It's so good. In a post-apocalyptic world where there is no noise because industry has come to a standstill, and you could probably hear that thing 10 miles out. My assumption of the explanation for how the dragons work is not that they're deaf, but that they actually only eat ash, don't eat humans, and only kill humans for vengeance. <laughs> and then we're treated to one of the most drawn out and meant to be exciting, but most boring, illogical fight scenes between the archangels and the dragon, which goes on for way longer than it should and is really fucking stupid. I don't understand what their plan is. Yeah, Sean, you were texting us this. You were just like, there's got to be a better way to fight dragons. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Van Halen's plan appears to be to just throw humans at them and tell Doobie Van Halen. <laughs> Doobie Van Halen just flies up in the air and then just drops humans on the dragons until they get so full of humans that they have to, like, land. Because <laughs> I don't know what else they're doing. It's it's stupid. <laughs> Doobie Van Halen doesn't even go up in the helicopter himself. He just stays on the ground and, st- and says, jump, them. jump out into the dragon's maw. And they do. That's exactly what they do. Natalia is cool with it, too. She's just like, yeah, 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 yeah. Here's your cue. Go, 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 go now. I'm fine in this helicopter. And so they have their motorcycle gang, which all have their 3D posts to triangulate a 3D readout of the area. Oh, they're verticals, Bobby. They're verticals. Vertical one through three. The dumbest thing. She flew around and did a 50-mile sweep of the area. She knows what's around. To be fair, though, it is England. You can't see anything because everything is foggy and overcast. So their entire plan is like, it's always raining. We're going to need technology to see three feet in front of us. All right, fair enough. Uh, I guess that's why they brought the 3D map printer triangulator motorcycle. I can't even explain this. It's so dumb. Okay, okay, I'll take over. Their plan is they are going to set up a 3D mapping system by putting out uh, three verticals, creating a triangular pattern uh, so that they can, as we said, 3D map the airspace around them. And then this way, the helicopter's going to stay on the hard deck, I think is what they say. So they're going to fly really close to the ground. And then when they get the 3D mapping up there, they'll know where the dragon is. They'll go up to 5,000 feet. I've already stopped listening, Rob. I've I've already what? tuned out. I, I <laughs> no, don't... no, 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 no. I'm going to go through it all. They're going to go up to 5,000 oh, feet. And, right, then, and then they're going to throw out one that's bait. Uh, and then uh, when the dragon comes after them, uh, and then they're going to throw the two other ones, which will follow after the dragon. And they're going to shoot harpoon guns at the dragon with nets in it. And then the nets are going to catch the dragon. And then the one at the bottom has a visual contact of the dragon and will say, oh, no, the dragon's caught. It's not flying anymore. Then we can deploy deploy our parachutes. And then Doobie Van Halen will show up. After all the hard work's done, and then fire a harpoon gun at it and kill the dragon and take all the glory for himself. So because this isn't a video podcast, Sean wasn't kidding. He got up and has left. We are now without a host. Because Rob perfectly and accurately described that scene to a T, and it is so fucking boring to watch. It doesn't... It's so fucking boring. It's literally a dragon fight with people jumping out of a helicopter, and it's the most boring thing they've ever done. It's so dumb. (laughs) <laughs> All right, good. All right, so I, I assume you got through that. No, he didn't actually. He got through what the plan was. He didn't. He hasn't described the scene yet. Oh God. Oh yeah. Okay. So here, real quick, real uh, quick. I'm gonna leave again. 
<laughs> he just got up and walked away. Uh, okay, so uh, they get the vertical one and vertical two in place, but for the 3D mapping grid, it's not actually going to work unless they have the third vertical up to make the triangle, right? But the dragon gets wind of this somehow, even though it's chasing a helicopter. It finds the third guy in the motorcycle, kills him, so they can't get the third vertical up. But Christian Bale, who's listening... Well, no, his radio guy is listening and says to Christian Bale, oh, no, they got to get that third vertical up. So then, surprise horse, Christian Bale runs up uh, to the flamed-out motorcycle, grabs the vertical, puts it up, and then right when they get the 3D mapping software in place, the dragon shows up out of nowhere, attacks the helicopter. Oh, no, their plan's not going to work because one guy fell out too early. So then the one guy falls out too early, and then the other ones have to jump back after him. But... Because of this mishmash in time not working out properly, they shoot the harpoon nets at it, somehow falling faster than people, even though they're nets. Uh, and then they, uh, they, they catch onto the dragon, but they fly right off. The one guy, he doesn't have enough time to throw his parachute. He crashes into the ground, right? And then the other two, one of them uh, gets eaten by the dragon. The other one throws his parachute out. And then they're, they're out of luck. Christian Bale is there, and he listens, and uh, Van Zan, Eddie Van Halen, is on the radio and says to him, uh, you're the bait now, Christian Bale. Uh, you have to take, I wrote this down, 1,600 pounds of horse flesh, a uh, very, very <laughs> descriptive way of saying a horse, uh, to ride towards him. And then Matthew McConaughey does absolutely nothing besides shoot one harpoon and takes all the glory for killing this dragon after, like, three people die. And for some reason, he's pissed off at the the British people that all his men are dead. Okay. It makes no sense. So I went downstairs and got a <laughs> cider and I came up and you were still talking about this fucking sequence. That's how long it is. And it is the most boring fucking thing to watch. Robbie couldn't even, he couldn't even make that exciting. He just had to get through it as fast as possible, which is faster than you get to see it in the movie. My favorite part of it all of that is knowing that Sean is the editor. He'll probably just cut all of that out out of spite. He just made you do that for his own entertainment. <laughs> Why did you have to say that? If he didn't say that, he was going to leave it all in. Now it's all cut. This was also the point where I realized in the movie that Christian Bale would later on to go remake this film under the title of Terminator Salvation. I, I, I don't remember Terminator Salvation, but is the plot similar to the dragons? <laughs> It, it, it is basically... It's yeah, mostly yeah, about yeah. tomatoes as well. <laughs> Eddie and his Eddie gang harvesting some tomatoes. <laughs> so they throw, a big, they throw a big party. And again, noise. They are playing Jimi Hendrix's fire as if they haven't all been burned to death enough by this point. They are playing Jimi Hendrix's fire over the loudspeakers. The loudspeakers they have installed in every wing of the castle. Yeah, they don't have a TV, but they have loudspeakers. I really feel like the filmmakers missed a trick here. I really wish that Christian Bale's character had been forced to re-record all of Jimi Hendrix's repertoire in the same way that he had to oh, recreate God, yes. Star Wars. And that really this movie was just some sort of like dystopian version of Be Kind Rewind, where Christian Bale has to recreate all of the most famous <laughs> artistic works of the 20th century because they've all been lost to time. And so in this sequence, they could have had like a Christian... Gerard Butler and Christian Bale <laughs> Jerry Butler and Christian Bale doing a cover of Jimi Hendrix's fire. Yeah, you're right. That would have been way better. It would have been the payoff of that scene. Uh, McConaughey gives this like stupid speech about how oh yeah you're all partying well three of my men are dead and you feel the need to celebrate 
You all disgust me. He says, um, you envy the country that has heroes. I pity yeah, the does. country that needs them. And then he just like, this lays it on so fucking thick to them. Like he's, he's a psychopath, right? Like, like his character portrayal is a psychopath. Yeah, I find it strange that Matthew McConaughey was committed to always remaining in character as a psychopath. That's a weird situation that I'm glad yeah. I didn't need to be a part of. No. Why would you ever want to always be that character is beyond me, but whatever. So he says, you lead, I'll follow. And he and Christian Bale go upstairs and he says, the thing he really wanted was he needs men. He needs reinforcements because he thinks he knows where the big dragon is and he's going to London because he's going to kill him. So, okay, I'm going to set this out here. We got to get through this faster. I think you're both doing a very good job of accurately recreating everything in this movie, except everything in this movie sucks. And so I, I don't want you to do that anymore. <laughs> All, right. All right, we'll go through it fast. Matthew McConaughey explains, they're pretty sure there's only one male. There is a single bull dragon and they think it's like fish where there are a lot of females and the females develop the eggs they lay the eggs, and then a single male dragon will fertilize all of the eggs. And so if they kill the male, they can kill all of the dragons at once. Seems like pretty far-fetched theory. Seems like it's a pretty easy solution to their problems, but this is what the movie is laying out. He says he thinks that male is in London, and he needs Christian Bale to supply the men for them to go to London and kill this bull. And Christian Bale says... Fuck you, that's stupid. Everyone's gonna die. If you go down there, they're just going to know where you came from somehow. He gives a story about another situation in which a person led an army against the dragons and then the dragons followed them back to the place where they came from and killed everybody. And Matthew McConaughey is like, that's dumb, whatever. I'm going to take people whether you want me to or not. Because it is He solicits some volunteers, and then when there aren't enough volunteers, he forces people at gunpoint to join his army. He gets in their tanks, and then he drives down to London. And the stupidest scene in the whole movie for me was right at this scene right here where the helicopter pilot flies the helicopter up, turns it around to have the helicopter look at Christian Bale, and then turns it back around to fly out of the castle. (laughs) Yes, that was her goodbye. <laughs> like it's a Thomas the Tank Engine helicopter. <laughs> One thing I will give this film is there was a lot of actual live action helicopter work, and it was pretty well done. There was a lot of like cool strafing shots of the helicopter. It wasn't just like a CG helicopter. It wasn't some sort of model or green screen. It was an actual helicopter, and the pilot did really well. Sorry, we skipped over the one compliment I have. When Matthew McConaughey kills the dragon before they celebrate with Christian Bale's rendition of Jimi Hendrix's Fire, (laughs) they walk through the remnants of the dragon and it is a model, a giant model of a dragon that Christian Bale and Matthew McConaughey can like walk around and go up and touch. And it's fantastic. I loved that dragon model. It looks both beautiful and exciting, but also uh, authentic enough that it almost looks like it is a real animal that's been killed. Yeah. It's just a really, really good model, and it's massive because they walk all around that thing. It's just like a giant dead dragon. I, I, I read, too, that um, they actually, for the CG of the dragons, actually put a lot of effort into making sure the scales moved realistically. And they went back and looked at other examples of dragons and the way lizard scales move and noticing that the scales contract and move when the animals breathe. So they actually went to the effort – 
for the CG and the dragons to make sure their scales actually moved realistically. Yeah, like the dragon CG is okay. I, I, I think it's not bad, especially for the era. Like I said, the fire compositing is terrible, but that model is, oh, it's chef's kiss. It's so fucking good. They spent like $5 million of that budget on like R&D and designing that dragon because they, um, it didn't like thinking back to movies and pop culture in the past, uh, it didn't really look like too many dragons previously that I'd seen. It kind of looked kind of cool and fresh and new back from 2002. And then it seems like that design aesthetic for dragons kind of carried forward to later things. Didn't win an Oscar, but like it did win an effects award at one of the like on one of the other like films. Like an Annie CG award? Something like, like yeah, for, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, cool. Now, the, the dragon design is pretty sweet in this movie. the one person listening um apparently these are technically wyverns and not oh, dragons because wyverns have two legs and dragons have yeah. four who cares the one person that is listening this is for you buddy march to london in 25 minutes or so well who knows how long it takes them to get to london but this is the weird thing so they get in their tanks they drive all the way to london they get to a place in which there is a sign that says 60 miles to London. They leave Northumberland, which is 300 and some miles to London. So they travel 240 miles. They get to 60 miles outside of London, and they are confronted by the bull, or is it another dragon? It's just... No, it's, it's, the, it's the, bull. the bull dragon. Why he's 60 miles outside of his home makes no sense. This bull destroys his entire army that he's collected and driven down to London. Doobie Van Halen and um, uh, Natasha from Goldeneye survive. And then the dragon says, well, fuck you, Van Halen, and then flies to the castle 240 miles away to burn the fuck out of those people. How he knows that's where he came from beats me. Because Christian Bale says he will. The only explanation is that this dragon... Literally is like Professor Dragon and <laughs> knows everything that's going on. He is like 10,000 years old. He's spending his time in Westminster Abbey <laughs> and reading all of the texts about like he went, English history. He is a worldly dragon. He is a worldly dragon. He's a he's a dragon of letters, as they say. He's well aware of the situation. He's like, well, fuck you. I know you came from Northumberland. So I'm going to fuck the shit out of Northumberland. And so he flies 240 miles away and then burns this other castle. It uh, it does show that Christian Bale paid attention because all of the prayers and all of the preparations and all of the dragon drills have paid off. Because what does everybody do but meet at the muster point? The tunnels he has dug have yep. been for the children. There is fire suppression set up at every step of the way. Every child, everyone who is left of there knows exactly where to go and what to do because they have run drills. Christian Bale listened to what that dragon said. He knew this was going to happen. Except for, as Robbie said, when he realizes he has forgotten his Beanie Babies upstairs, and Jerry <laughs> Butler runs up the door. And you get that payoff I mentioned earlier of the fire comes downstairs, and Jerry Butler looks back and <laughs> no, somehow says- closes the door. <laughs> no, no, no. Uh, the door he closes by the flame, the force of it. But But he says there's 65 people up there. And then he says, I'll go clean it up. What the fuck does that even mean? Like, is he going to go while it's on fire? To, like, put the people out? Like, what is he doing? He throws him a fire extinguisher. <laughs> a single small fire extinguisher. It's because it's one small chest of Beanie Babies. So he's just going to go put it out, salvage what he can, and then come back to this, I'm, this, I'm assuming 20 years expired ABC fire extinguisher that they have kicking around the castle, which is probably not going to fire. I do like the irony of he gets a fire extinguisher and holds it while he burns to death. That was a funny <laughs> scene. <laughs> 
So uh, Matthew McConaughey shows back up and he's like, you were right. I was wrong. wrong. Sorry that everyone died. My apologies to your peanut babies. Now there's only three of us left. There's you, me and the Swede. Uh, (laughs) How how do you feel about trying this again? (laughs) I just, there's just off the top of my head. Just sitting on that. And so they decide to go back to London. And then they, they go down on the Thames. So they fly along the coast and then they, they take the Thames into London. So they fly around, like, the eastern coast to go down? Like, the Thames goes southeast from London. So, like, they're going way out of their way to take the Thames, right? Like, that doesn't make any fucking sense. The geography in this movie makes no sense. No, no, it doesn't. But, again, like, they probably didn't have any issue because there's nothing to burn on the water. So they were safe off this coast. Yeah, it's strange. Um, So they take the Thames into London. They, They land exactly perfectly so that immediately they can see where they need to go. I don't know if we've all been to London. It's a pretty big place, but they happen to land at the exact spot they need to. Well, Westminster. Because obviously the bull is sitting in British Parliament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm the Prime Minister. And then you get this like, look at them, they're starving. They're eating each other. They're going mad with hunger. To which I recalled, this has already happened to the dragons once. And they were smart enough to go to sleep and not eat each other. This time, they're just going to eat each other. <laughs> okay, again, my, my logic was that the bull took an egg and uh, went to bed. He killed everybody and then went to bed. But, but, if they survive on ash, why is he eating other live dragons? There's plenty of ash. There's so much ash. Look how much ash. There's, pl- there's a whole Westminster. There's a whole House of Parliament that you can make into ash. Where are my ash eaters at? <laughs> <laughs> they make it back to the construction site where Christian Bale has remembered the words of the dragon that told him, how could this situation have been avoided? He's like, well, maybe if I'd have killed you. This is where you get Sean Smog moment in the movie where they have C4 magnesium tipped arrows that he has just been carrying around in his pocket. They have Rambo arrows. I did like that he rips his shirt off and goes like full Rambo at this point. Oh, I love that yeah. part about No, he, he takes his shirt off and he has... Uh, Matthew McShirtless has dragon tattoos all over his body. They're kind of tribal yeah. tattoos. It's really early 2000s, but they kind of play it off to be dragons. So it's kind of cool, but it's still tribal tattoos. I wouldn't say it's cool. I'd say it's hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> McConaughey shoots the dragon and he misses, so, which time just time pisses time it off. They, they go to the underground. They climb back to there. They see this tower. So Matthew McConaughey is like, I got a plan. Uh, you got to get really close. These arrows only shoot 50 feet or some something like that. I'm going to call yeah. it out. I'm going to climb to the top of this tower and tell you when he's coming by. And Natalia and Batman are running around on the ground uh, being the bait, the decoy, so Matthew McShirtless can shoot the dragon with his Rambo arrow. Everyone clear on the situation? <laughs> That's just a very long way of saying that Matthew McShirtless jumps into the dragon's mouth. <laughs> he climbs to the top of a building, swings an axe at its face, only to get eaten by it That's when amazing. the dragons only eat ash. And then Christian Bale shoots it in the face. The end. The, end. the good guys went. Except then you were treated to the shittiest fucking early 2000s hard rock song, Walk Away by the band Mad at Gravity, who only existed from the year 2000 to the year 2003. So they broke up after this movie came out, assumably because they had to hear their own song. Uh, <laughs> they went to the premiere and they were like, guys, we shouldn't be allowed to make music. <laughs> they watched it and they're like, oh, fuck. 
Go, going back to Matthew McShirtless, um, I kind of really laughed my face off when he just decided to jump straight into the dragon's mouth and die. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it was such a funny but thing. But not even like, don't worry, I have another arrow in my pocket. It's like, no, I'm just going to jump and swing an axe in his face, which isn't going to do anything yeah. because we shot it and it was fine. Yeah, no, I just I just laughed at it because he's like, he's played up as being this huge badass character and you expect it to actually do something. Like he's going to hit the dragon and like tear its wing and land on the ground and then keep fighting it. But no, he just literally jumps straight into its mouth and dies. <laughs> now, my whole thoughts watching this entire movie was, you know what? This movie is just a video game. This movie should have been a video game. I would have played this video game in 2002. We all would have. An open world. It's mostly about farming tomatoes. <laughs> mostly about farming tomatoes and occasionally having to shoot harpoons at dragons. It's like Stardust Valley, but every so often a dragon comes around. <laughs> we would all play that game. I would totally play that game. I'd love Stardust Valley. There is a video game tie-in for Reign of Fire. Really? That came out, came out before the movie as promotion for the movie, and if you bought a copy of the video game, you got a discount off your tickets to go and see the movie. They do not do tie-ins like that anymore. The bonus you get after you beat the game, what do you think the bonus feature is you unlock? The movie? The music video to <laughs> Walk Away by Mad at Gravity. Boys, we're breaking up the bands. <laughs> I finally beat the game. We shouldn't be allowed to make music. <laughs> I tried doing the thing where I looked up the band on Wikipedia to see what other bands they are in. Like, and normally you can click on a name. There's nothing. They just were like, no, sorry, we were in Rain of Fire. We are so sorry. They're all accountants now. <laughs> One of the things, again, going back to M Matthew McConaughey dying, is that composite of him jumping into the dragon's mouth is so bad. So it's bad. terrible. I couldn't believe He's it. Like, He's I believe it. He's like, he's not like, somehow, they didn't film him blurry. Right? Like, he, they didn't like, get him out of focus when they filmed him. But when they composited it in, he's like, not visible. It's a blur. It's so bad. Yeah, I know. I know. How do you make the subject of the composite blurry? I don't know. It's, it's baffling. <laughs> That's thankfully, I think, the end of the movie. Do we need to say anything else about this? It cuts forward like a year. Three months. A couple, three months. A bit more than that, but but yeah, they say that we haven't seen a dragon in three months. So my assumption is it's like, okay. it's like probably like six months or a year or some bullshit. That it's like, oh no, this entire species evolved to only ever have one male. None of the eggs laid are ever male. I, it doesn't make any sense. I told you at the beginning, this whole logic doesn't make any sense. But what a convenient way for them to win. And then the movie ends and we get that amazing song that broke up the band. <laughs> the end. Bobby, you wanted us to watch this. <laughs> still don't really understand why. What did you think about it? Maybe not the most, but easily one of the stupidest movies I have ever seen. It wasn't one of the worst movies I have ever seen. <laughs> and like, it got to a point where I just sat back and enjoyed how fucking stupid it was. I it, it even got to a point where my wife sat down beside me, and even she was just sitting and laughing at how stupid the movie was. And she came in like third quarter of the movie. I hadn't seen this movie before. I had always thought maybe I should watch it. <laughs> I had always thought that I had heard good things, and it's entirely possible that I had only ever heard those good things from Rob. Hi. It's entirely possible that everyone else in the world was wise enough to know that this is not a good film. But I kind of went in thinking that maybe this was going to be like a good film that got a bad rap. Like it was going to be a well-made, interesting, dystopian sci-fi movie where they fight dragons, like something that's 
you know, a little creative and different, but just didn't find an audience when it came out. It's none of those things. It's kind of terrible. It's it's just, it's a bad movie. <laughs> There's very little redeeming value. The one redeeming thing I have to say about it is that that one model of the dead dragon is great. Some of the stuff that we've watched so far on this podcast has been like offensively made on all levels. This, on many of its levels, was only just boringly made. <laughs> so it's not like as bad as those things. I'm going to put it below the black hole. You know, I'll put it above Million Dollar Duck, I guess, but <laughs> maybe that's too high. <laughs> like, it's, Was the economics of Million Dollar Duck that exciting, Sean? Uh, apparently, yes. I honestly think maybe I enjoyed Million Dollar Duck more, but oh my God. I think just my instinct right now is to say that this goes just above Million Dollar Duck, but it goes below the black hole. Uh, Bobby, where do you rank it? I, I, oddly enough, you know, as we've kind of said, this is going to go below Blackbeard's Ghost, but above Babes in Toyland. Oh, yeah. It's way better than Babes in Toyland. Yeah, I mean, I would put it above Babes in Toyland. It's it's not good. It's funny. I tried to, like, look up and see if there's any, like, love or people being like, you should love this movie now. And there was, like, one Collider article from July of this year that was, like, two pages long. Yeah, did Rob write it? Mostly just describing the plot of the movie and then being like, anyway, you should watch it. It's silly and fun. And I was like, no, no, no. Don't. It's Don't. not. It's none of those things. It is not silly and fun. It's an except most of the discussions are about tomatoes, and then like Matthew McConaughey jumps into a dragon's mouth. <laughs> That's like the end of the movie. I, the only reason I would suggest watching this movie is if you have a movie review podcast where you have to watch and rank every movie on Disney Plus. I haven't seen this movie since two thousand and I want to say six, maybe two thousand and seven. And uh, you, you watched it since two thousand and two. You've seen it multiple times, I think. Oh yeah, I've seen this movie like. Four or five oh times. my god. Wow. I saw it in theaters. I liked it in theaters. I still had problems with the ending. Like, it's fairly anticlimactic. They clearly didn't have the budget to what they wanted to do with it. Um, the dragon model is awesome, Sean. You are 100% correct. Matthew McConaughey is going, on a scale of 1 to 10, he's going to 14. But he's a psychopath in it. Uh, watching it now, like, he's he's clearly not... A good person he's insane i do not like it bobby you described the opening of this as uh an instructional informational video on what not to do while digging out tunnels underground <laughs> i feel like the rest of this film could be like an instructional educational film on what not to do when acting like you could just Bring this out and be like, what is Matthew McConaughey doing wrong here? And just have all of the students raise their hand and be like, uh, maybe don't go method when your character is a psychopath. Like uh, Most of his, like, most of his choices are just sniffing. Like, he breathes so heavily through his nose in this movie. He really decided that what he wanted was for his character to be animalistic because yes. he spends most of his time grunting yeah he could he, i mean who knows he could have done some animal work i've done animal work for like some roles i've been and like that does become a choice and that bleeds its way into the into your roles weird uh, ways sometimes he, yeah there's a lot of grunting all right rob you're the one who had seen this before you liked it tell us where you ran I, I put it squarely in the zone of it's a movie um, it is number nine. It is right in the middle of my list. Wow, that's, I feel like that's too high, but I don't know where nine sits compared to my million dollar duck, actually. <laughs> uh, it's right below Adventures in Baby Shoeing and right above Freaky Friday, 1970, whatever it is. The Elizabeth Shoe version of 
Adventures yeah. in Babysitting. Oh, I see. Okay. Sorry, you, 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 your, your, your joke is like a week late because you weren't part of the podcast. <laughs> it, it, it has a lot of things that like should be so much better than it was done. The execution of it is bad. But there's a lot of like cool fucking shit in it. Like the dragon's awesome. And Matthew McConaughey kills a dragon with a harpoon gun. Guys, come on. Matthew McConaughey kills a dragon with a harpoon gun. Come on. Million Dollar Duck has a guy going, I'm going to go bury some eggs in the backyard at midnight for no goddamn reason, Sean. Matthew McConaughey kills a dragon with a harpoon gun. We're talking about two movies. One of them involves a man burying eggs in the backyard and then trying to figure out how to evade taxes on $40,000 worth of gold. And most of it is just paperwork. And another movie... Is Matthew McConaughey uh-huh. kills a dragon with a gun? And I have to debate. I have yep. to debate which one is better. Definitely that dragon movie failed somewhere <laughs> along the way. There is a hybrid version of this movie that involves Richard Nixon fighting dragons. <laughs> Bring me that dragon! <laughs> yeah, it was. It, this was an anomaly for me. I'd, I'd never seen it, and I remember thinking... As a 16-year-old, fuck, that movie looks stupid. Um, turns out, at the age of 36, this movie's real fucking stupid. You should have trusted that 16-year-old voice. So, how did this movie do? Did you do any research, Sean? So, its box office was $82 million worldwide on a $60 million budget. That's not good. That's bad. Uh, it did pretty bad. It was number three behind Road to Perdition and Men in Black 2. And when your movie does worse than Men in Black 2... I was working in a movie theater when this came out. And you and I saw Men in Black 2 together. We, I took you to... My- Men in Black too. That's yeah. right. And to think we could have seen Rain of Fire. I don't really think that we dodged a bullet or made the right choice. I think those, both of those, would have harmed us equal amounts. And in and, and, and this, and this postmodern society, there is no right or wrong answer to either of those viewings. Unfortunately, despite the fact that Robbie's bad choices have led us to this choice, Rain of Fire. Wait, 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 wait. Uh, wait, wait, wait next wait. week is another Robbie's bad choice. This was not my choice. This was Bobby's. Yes, your influence led Bobby astray. But next week is actually Rob's choice. Rob, what are we doing next week? I'm gonna, I'm gonna propose three films to the group, and we're gonna pick one. Okay. 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 There is a movie called Don't Look Under the Bed, which is a Disney Channel original that was apparently so scary, Disney had to pull it from circulation. They couldn't put it on Disney Channel anymore because too many parents complained about it. Okay? Very spooky for our Halloween special. What's the other options? There is Halloween Town 2, Calabar's Revenge. Very good, because we haven't done Halloween Town 1, so we'll skip straight to Halloween Town 2, Calabar's Revenge. Yep. Okay, and what's the third option? Predator 2, the Danny Glover, <laughs> Donald Glover special. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm going with Don't Look Under the Bed, only because I've done some previous homework on that movie, and it has a cult following amongst Disney Channel viewers as being their introduction to horror. Let's do it. Halloween special, baby. Okay. Don't Look Under the Bed. Tune in next week to the podcast War Tennis Shoes. Can you do Spooky Nixon next? (laughs) Bring me that dog. Okay, but no, Richard Nixon like he's a ghost. (laughs) Bring me that dog. I don't know what the fuck to do. My brain is melting. I don't know how to do both at the same time. Bobby, do Christian Bale saying tune in next week is in the podcast War Tennis Shoes. Tune in next week to the podcast or tennis shows <laughs> so good and that's the show 
If you have a suggestion for a movie we should cover next time, send us an email at thepodcastwartennisshoes at gmail.com. We can also be reached on Facebook and Twitter at podwar. That's at P-O-D-W-O-R-E. And if you like the show, give us a good review on your podcast platform. It really helps us out. We hope you tune in next time. Thanks. Show.